0: Welcome to This One's for the Dads, a podcast dedicated to encouraging every father in biblical understanding of everyday life. Now, here are your hosts, Michael and Taylor.
1: Hi guys, this is Michael. Sorry for the long wait. It has been a fun and busy semester. Uh, I hope to tell you all about it sometime soon. This is not the introduction that you are used to hearing. Uh, usually it's, it's Taylor, um, given his introduction, but we are doing a two-part series. Taylor and I both got the opportunity to um, preach a, a service. Uh, a pastor in Giddings, Texas allowed me uh, Sunday morning to share a message with his congregation, and Taylor Preached a midweek Wednesday night uh, sermon at Calvary Chapel Garland. So I listened to it. It's very good. You're about to hear it in a minute. Um, it is on identity and our identity in Christ. Uh, it is a timely message for our generation. And by ours, I mean Taylor and I, um, kids kids today are desperately desperately hungry to hear the truth on where their identity can be found there's so many lies surrounding this uh, exact topic that to be to have a foundation in what the bible says is absolutely crucial uh, to communicate to kids today and and to our kids who are growing up in this culture um I was grateful to be featured as a illustration in Taylor's sermon. Um, so give it a listen and, and give it a, a think over how we can speak into our culture about how our identity is found in Christ and ministering to others, uh, how to show them that their identity is in Christ. Wherever they're searching for it, ultimately that, That's where it lies. So uh, here's Taylor Hyatt on a midweek service for Calvary Chapel Garland.
0: Good morning, Calvary Chapel Garland and those who are listening this morning. We're so glad to be able to give you our normal Tuesday study here, either through the website or through Facebook. And so we are glad you are joining us from your couch, from your work. I've been texting with a couple of people who have said they're even listening at work, which is awesome. I'm excited that you guys are hungry for scripture uh, this morning. So while you turn to Genesis chapter 18, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and ask that as we um, read through Genesis this morning, Lord, that You would be revealing things to us that maybe are new. Lord, you'd be refreshing our minds on things that we've known. But Lord, above all, Lord, will we be learning more about your character and who you are through your scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week... Pastor Dwayne went through, I believe, three chapters talking about Abraham, um, Sarah, Abram at the time, Sarah, uh, Hagar, all these things going on that God is trying to bless Abraham and his family, saying he's gonna give them a son. And of course, as we learned last time, Adam or um, Abr- Abram and Sarah decided that they needed to take that into their own hands and use Hagar, Sarah's servant, To have that child instead of what God wanted for them, which is that he was going to bless them, that even though they had been barren, that he was going to bless them. And so that ends up causing all kinds of issues and stuff. And at the end of that uh, sermon last week, when we finished in 17, we were reading about uh, how God said, no, this is going to be through your seed, through you that we're going to have this and you will not be barren. You will have a child of your own and it will be through you that I bless all nations. So let's start in chapter 18, verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him, talking about Abraham, by the terebinth tree of Mamir. And he was sitting in a tent in the door, uh, in, in the tent door in the heat of day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and you may pass by, uh, by in as much as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So this is kind of the, and I'll get to later why I think that one of the men in who are approaching Abraham as Jesus. But this is kind of the second physical appearance of this Lord figure, this spiritual being. And in this time, he comes with three others. Um, I believe that this is a Christophany, um, an appearing of Jesus before his actual birth. Um, And what is Abraham's response to seeing these three figures is right, hospitality. Today we're gonna talk about God providing. And one of the things that I love about how Abraham's reaction to this is, is he welcomes open arms, wants to serve in the midst of his Lord. He recognizes who this is. And because of that, God sees that and God honors that and God blesses him because of that. Again, he bows in reverence. He makes space for this figure. It was a big deal in that culture of hospitality, that when somebody was new or a guest in your midst, you made them feel like royalty. And that's what he was doing. He was washing their feet, right? He said, let them come come in, let me wash your feet. And as we're gonna read, he prepares a feast for these people. Do you recognize God working in your life? Do you see where God is moving around you and where his presence is going? And do you recognize the things that God has his hand on in your life? And like one of my favorite parts about when we join together in communal worship, when these seats in the sanctuary are filled up on Sundays, which is, I'm sad that we're not getting to do that right now. One of my favorite things is watching God move amongst the people, watching his presence fill this, fill this space, watching people who were broken and hurt and frustrated lay those things down at the foot of Jesus, right? And invite him in. That's what we look to do here every Sunday with musical worship, with studying of Scripture is, is we're saying, Lord, come in. We want your presence here. We want your healing power. We want all that. We want you to be the guest of honor in this space. Many churches, I believe, get this wrong in that, oh, church is about satisfying people. Church is about having the best live stream, maybe, or about the sound and the audio sounding the best, or about the preacher being a fantastic orator, right? Right? But all of those things are good, but they are subservient to what? God. About our worship and our praise to him, about putting him as our guest of honor here. So we need to be gathering together to see the Lord work in our midst, that we can give him the glory for everything that's being done. Let's continue into verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant. I'm sorry, that was 17. Let's back up here for a second and do verse six of chapter 18. I'm sorry. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it. And make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender, good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree and they ate. So he prepares this feast for those who had come. And the reason, one of those reasons why I think that this is Christ in the flesh is because what does he do whenever? He's offered this meal, right? He partakes, something that a human would do, right? Partakes, he sits and eats with them. And um, so this is a great passage also to talk about the eternality and divinity of Jesus, right? We're not looking at Luke 2 and past. We're not talking about New Testament. We're talking Old Testament. We're talking about Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And we're already seeing the Lord Christ Jesus doing a work here. And I also love how it says that Abraham ran. He, was, he ran quickly. There wasn't a second wasted. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is that it was culturally the norm for this kind of hospitality. If you had a guest come from a far off land, whether family or not, and they asked to say, you were called to prepare a feast. You were called to invite them in and to take care of them for at least a night. There's obviously caveats to that. But it's very interesting the way that Abraham is very quick. He runs. He's quick to go get it. He's quick to prepare the meal. There's a very hastily taking care of his Lord, right? And, And making him feel like the guest of honor. And I think that that's because he knew who this was. He knew that this was not just some Joe Schmo off the streets, right? He were talking about Lord. He called him Lord, Right? And so we continue into verse nine. Then Sarah said to him, then he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of your life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening and in the tent door, which was behind him. It kind of made me think there for a second because we've read two times now that Abraham knew that they were gonna have a son. I'm wondering, <laughs> was he just not communicating with Sarah? Was there a loss? You know, you think that, especially being in their old age, we'll read that Sarah was 90 and Abraham was about 100. Well, maybe there was just an unbelief there. I don't know, but there's some kind of communication breakdown because Sarah clearly seems very surprised by this. And I love what Jesus says here, right? According to the time of life, right now, where you are, It's where I've come to provide. In both of these chapters that we're going to read today, I believe there's one big theme, one common thread through this whole two chapters, and we can see that thread through the whole first part of Genesis that we've read, is this theme of God's provision for His remnant, for His people, for those He chooses, for those who have faith in Him. He provides. And a lot of times it's not in our logical standings, right? It's not the way that we think that the Lord's gonna provide, but it's in his perfect will and his perfect timing. And so we need to be continually relying on God's provision, not on our provision. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, but do not forget one thing, dear friends, when the Lord, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As someone un- as someone understands slowness, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, right? I love that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. It reminds me of the scene in the Lord of the Rings where Frodo sees um, Gandalf and he goes, Gandalf, where have you been? You know, you're late. And he says, you know, a wizard has never or- arrives precisely when he was meant to, right? In the same way with God, he does what he does. His will is carried out in his perfect timing. He doesn't wait on any man, he doesn't wait on anything. He orchestrates each and everything. And you should take comfort in that, knowing that he provides for you in his perfect will with everything. And I know for myself, I tend to get in such a rush to get things done with. I tend to overlook little moments that God wants to work through. Maybe it's in the grocery store, or through the drive through while I'm waiting for my food, especially right now where there's no dine-in, right? Maybe you were watching a movie at some point and you just rushed through, right? You just rushed, got right into the theater. And I'm so eager to get to what I want that I forget that God's in our midst when we walk through those areas of our life. And maybe it's in those perfect timings that the Lord is trying to get you to evangelize to somebody. So we continue into verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well-advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord, being so old? Right? Sarah had thought that she had already fulfilled this promise in her own strength. If we think back to chapter 16, remember Hagar right? And all of the dispute that came from that, the son that they named Ishmael, right? It was in her own strength that she thought that she had fulfilled God's will. Because why? What did we just read? Because she was past the age of childbearing. So she thought that if God's promise was going to be fulfilled, it was going to be through their own might, because logically, it didn't seem possible, verse 13 as we continue and the Lord said to Abraham why did Sarah laugh saying shall i surely bear a child since i am old is there anything too hard for the lord at this at the appointed time i will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son but Sarah denied it saying i did not laugh for she was afraid and he said no but you did laugh and right there in verse 15 i think is the root Of all of this, she was afraid. She was afraid maybe that she was too old in the risks of conceiving at that time. Maybe she thought she was too old to raise a child. I had um, a friend once tell me the reason that the Lord made made it so that you could have children at a young age, you know, 20, 30, is because you still have the energy. (laughs) You're still able to run around. I can still run around with Jack and do all of those fun things. Whereas when you're old, And things just progress in that way. Maybe that's not always as true. But whatever it may be, there was a lack of faith in God's plan to provide for that need, right? And this is something so personal to them. I know for me and my wife, having a kid was a big deal. It was a blessing. And it came with all kinds of stressors and things that were piled onto our shoulders in terms of providing for a child, right? And I know that there are fears that come, especially for women of, of not being able to have a child. And maybe this was something for Sarah. Culturally, having a child was everything in that time. And so it was personal. And coming up on seven, and if they had been married, maybe in their late teens, early 20s in this, they'd been waiting 70 years for this to happen, right? And it seemingly is being dangled in front of their faces over and over. I'm gonna provide a child, I'm gonna provide a child. And they don't see it coming true, right? So maybe it was hard to believe. Maybe there was that fear. But we read in Philippians four nineteen, but my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ, right? It's in his glory and in his power that we find the ability that we're provided for. And so like Abraham and Sarah, we need to have faith. We need to have faith that he's gonna provide even when the things seem impossible, even when rent's coming up, and you've been laid off because there's no work right now. Even when things look grim in, in your house, for college, for schooling, for whatever it may be, we need to focus in on God as our provider. Every need. If God called Sarah to, mother, to motherhood of her own kin, then he will supply the power, he will supply the ability in her age to have a child. And we need to trust in that power also. And so if you know the story, if you read ahead, right? God fulfills that plan. And then we continue on into verse 16 where the story begins to shift into Lot's story. Then the men arose and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. So we see kind of Jesus consulting with the other two beings, the other two angelic beings there. And he looked upon Sodom and Gomorrah and he knew their wickedness. And he said, do we, cons- do we tell Abraham What's going to happen? And this isn't a form of gossip. Don't get this. Oh, should we tell Abraham what's going to happen that we're going to destroy? And this also isn't that to satisfy Abraham's curiosity. But God knew that if Abraham was going to be a mighty leader and command a fruitful large nation, this would be an opportunity to teach him to see and look upon what was going to happen, right? and we're about to see that Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin, right? And so we continue 20 and 21. And the Lord said, "Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have what they have done, although according to the outcry against that will come to me. And if not, I will know." So he's going to go down. He's, this is now him telling Abraham, listen, I'm going to go down. And what I see is what they're going to get. <laughs> you know, if they turn back, man, there's an opportunity for repentance. But as we're going to read, this city was wicked. It reminds me kind of a lot of things in this story remind me of what was happening in Noah's time originally. So then Abraham continues on, right? Verse 22, the men turned away from there and they went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord and Abraham came near to him and said, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? That is bold. That is very bold coming from him. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? far be it from you to do such a thing as this. He's he's attesting to God's character. He's saying, you wouldn't. You as a loving, righteous God would not destroy this city on behalf of 50 righteous people. So that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all this earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in that city Then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now I am but dust and the ashes, but Lord, take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous, would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? You see in that verse 27, right? He, he's coming humbly. He's not coming proudly at God, not heavy-fisted. Lord, how could you, right? Not in anger, He's saying, Lord, I'm just trying to understand. Wait, what, what, is the, what is the meaning behind this? How are you going to s- destroy this city when there, if there are righteous people in it? Verse 29, or uh, let's start in 28. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous, would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. He said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found So he said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed, I have taken it upon myself to speak for the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let it not, the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. So the Lord's character is not one of this destruction. He is not one that if there is righteous. And I think that this is incredible because what we see here is provision, right? If there is righteousness within Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord is going to provide for that city nonetheless. He will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 people. In the whole city of, the whole providence of Sodom and Gomorrah. We like to think of maybe Sodom and Gomorrah as like Dallas, but it's even bigger than that. You know, it, it's, it's a large expanse. And so for 10 people, the Lord says that he would, he would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The faith of 10 Christians would save. The faith of 10 Jews in that time would save that city. We have to, as Christians, have faith that supports our community. We have to intercede on behalf of Garland, of Rockwall, of Rowlett, of Richardson, Allen, Plano, of our surrounding areas, praying for revival during this time, especially for revival, for hope for people, right? Are you praying for your community? Are you interceding on behalf of Lord? I pray that Garland... Would be blessed by the Christians in this area. Right down the street from the church, actually, it's right down the street from my house, also. There was a family who had set up a table outside of their house with toilet paper and hand sanitizer and all kinds of like cleaning products and said, May the Lord bless you, take if you need. Oh my goodness, in a time where there's not even, there's only one ply toilet paper on the shelf. And I know that because I just bought two boxes of one ply toilet paper because that's all Walmart had. In a time when that is all that's left, everything is being ravaged. These Christians took it upon themselves to bless their city. And I want to encourage you that if you know people who have needs, we here at the church are here to help provide. In the abundance that the Lord has given us in the food pantry, we have toilet paper here. If you know or you are in need or somebody you know is in need, let us know we want to help. We want to, be, to bless others with what the Lord has blessed us with. And unfortunately, 10 were not found in Sodom and Gomorrah if you know the ending of this story. But let's continue on into chapter 19. Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself at his face towards the ground. And he said, "'Here now, my lords, please turn to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way.' And they said, "'No, but we will spend the night in the open square.'" Verse 3, but he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. So here's another instance of this Jewish hospitality, right? He sees these men coming. He sees these angelic beings, and he bows in reverence to them and then invites them in for a feast. But again, we see this urgency, like, he knows that though these men look like men, they're coming in, and there's something about them that just, they aren't normal, and he bows in reverence. He understands the spirituality, the, the seriousness of these men, right? Right? And let's talk a little bit. I know we're skipping over a lot of details and I'm sorry, but we got to get through this. There's a lot here and we're trying to get this big picture, right? Of how God provides. And these two angels are a provision for Lot and his family to survive this Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And Lot's placement at the gate isn't by chance, right? He's a revered person in the city. The gate is where where judges would stay, where men gathered to do all kinds of work and talking and things like that. So this would have been a very public place. And I think Lot knew that, that when these angels said, no, we're going to stay in the open market, Lot was like, you don't know this city? This is a terrible place to be in an open, in an open air like that, especially for you two. And we'll see why in a second. So he, tra- so he brought them, these people at the gate, I'm sure saw Lot take these men into his home. And I'm sure word spread very quickly because we read, in verse, we read on into verse 4. Now they lay, now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every corner surrounded the house like an ambush. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men that, you, that came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them carnally. This is wicked, guys. This is awful And wicked. These angels wanted to spend the night in the open square, and word got out quickly, and they were protected being in Lot's house for the time being, right? And apparently, these men were, I guess, attractive of some sort because men from every corner came to surround this house to take them. And what does it mean by to know them carnally? It means they wanted to have sex with them. These men, young and old, came. And we see the only named major issue in Sodom and Gomorrah, their sexual promiscuity, their homosexual tendencies, and the publicity of it. I mean, this isn't just one person trying to get these guys. We're talking about the whole city, men from young and from old, from all corners, joining in on this ambush to attack these men sexually. It's disgusting. And on the surface, it doesn't surprise me that God would want to destroy this area, right? What does it bring up in your mind? It brings up the flood, right? The wickedness of man's heart. And God would have spared these people if there had been 10 Jews, 10 faithful Jews, 10 righteous Jews, but sin had run so rampant in this town. And let's be clear on this. Homosexuality is a sin. We see it plain as day and it's very specifically linked to the reason that Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. But let's not but we see this specifically in Leviticus 20 verse 13. If a man lies as he lies with if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they shall surely be put to death. But let's not place homosexuality on this pedestal because of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Hatred, pride, jealousy, just adultery as it was, as it pertains to between a man and a woman outside of marriage. All of these things could have been the root and the reason for Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. This specific example happens to be that it was homosexuality. But don't ever Believe that somehow a homosexual is worse than somebody who is out murdering or who has hatred in his heart, right? We were reading in a study last night in Matthew, right? About in chapter five about Jesus saying, if you've murdered, if you have hatred in your heart, then you've committed murder in your heart, right? And you've broken that commandment. And so we need to be Christians of righteousness. 1 Timothy 6, right? Pursue righteousness, godliness, love. And that's a paraphrase of that, but I love that verse for that reason. And so we continue into verse six. So Lot went out to them, uh, went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have never known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do with them as you wish only do nothing to these men since this is the reason that they have come under the shadow of my roof. Lot lacked the understanding of what the Lord was doing in this moment. The Lord was providing a way out for his whole family. This wasn't, excuse me, two angelic beings coming in just to take advantage of Lot's hospitality. But they were coming in here to provide a way out of this wickedness. And Lot does something that's, I would say, just as despicable as what these men were coming to do. He offers his two daughters in place of these men. A lack of faith for the provision of God in this. The fact that Lot considers his male guests more important than his daughters is terrible. And it really shows the depravity of the heart at that time. <laughs> Why Sodom and Gomorrah needed to be destroyed. In verse nine, we continue. And they said, stand back. Then he said, then they said, the one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal with him worse. With, we will deal with, sorry. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break the door. Lot's compromise almost costed him more These guys were going to do worse with him than what they were planning on doing with this guy. And that was already despicable. The devil doesn't care about your deals or compromise. He comes to kill and destroy. All he cares about is seeing your faith destroyed. Do not compromise on your faith, Christian. Do not compromise on your moral standing, on your righteousness. And that's when, and this is when the angels go to work, right? They show their supernatural ability by blinding these attackers, right? So verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you seen, I'm sorry. Verse 10, and then the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were in the doorway with the house of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. They blinded these guys. The supernatural ability of these angels blinded these guys. In verse 12, we continue. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has been grown so great Before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons in law who had married his daughters, and he said, Get up, go out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But the sons in laws seemed to be joking. So, wait a second. I I thought Lot was giving his unmarried daughters to uh, these men. Well, it seems as though this I think, is a a reason for that betrothal period we talk about, right? So in Jewish custom, and Jewish tradition, there was a period before the actual uh, consummation of the marriage where the man would go out and he would earn money, make a living, and be able to provide for the house so that he could come back and they could finish the wedding ceremony, so to speak, finish the marriage. Because What Lot had said was was that his daughters had not laid with a man, but these women were considered married in Lot's eyes. He had sons-in-law, right? And so, even more so important, in that period, if you are in a time, a period of singleness before, maybe you're dating, it is still extremely important to keep that purity, right? We don't just get to give in to our fleshly desires and temptations of sexual nature, but that we are to keep ourselves pure for marriage. These women were pure for the day that their betrothed comes back for them. And that's to keep the purity of marriage that God had set before us. And so he goes to those sons-in-law and they don't even believe him. And I'm not surprised, to be honest. I mean, if somebody came to me today and said, you need to get out of Dallas because God's going to bring hail fire and brimstone to destroy Dallas, it would be kind of hard to believe. And I'm sure with the sons-in-law probably participating or at least being okay with the sin in the city, they didn't see how the city could be destroyed or even why maybe. And so verse 15, we continue. When the morning dawned the angels urged Lot to hurry saying arise take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city and while he lingered the men took hold of his hand his wife his wife's hand and the hands of the two daughters the lord being merciful to him and they brought him and set him outside of the city so it came to pass when they brought him outside that he said, escape with your life. Do not look behind you, nor you stay anywhere in this plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. These angels are trying to explain to Lot, your family is going to be destroyed if you stay here. And what does Lot keep doing? But my house, but my sons-in-law, but, 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 and keeps lingering in this place. I don't understand personally how he doesn't realize I need to get away from these men. Maybe it's because of his compromise, right? His compromise to living in this city with this sin. If you think about how Lot grew into Sodom and Gomorrah, it's back earlier in Genesis 13 where Abraham and Lot, Abraham brought Abram at the time brought Lot with him, which he wasn't supposed to do to begin with. And then when they couldn't get along, Abram said, Lot, choose where you would like to go. I'll go the opposite direction so that we don't have issues. And the reason Lot picked Sodom and Gomorrah was because of its beauty, its lush nature, because of the land there was probably really awesome for for being for living in, for having a community in, right? And so... Everything materialistic that he wanted, that he had chosen, that probably he had built. He had to give it up. Do not look behind you, the angels said, right? God was providing a means of escape from this destruction, from their death. The angels didn't put it lightly. There will be destruction on this city. You need to not look back, but you need to continue on. And what does Lot do again, right? Continue in verse 18. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. So now the city is near now. See now, this city is near enough to flee. And it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. God is being so incredibly merciful to Lot and his family. And Lot has the audacity to ask for a plot of land in this. He sees the mercy that he's being shown, the provision that God is placing in his life, that he's not going to be destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah, And yet he fights tooth and nail to be destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. After all this, God is sending this provision for him and his family to protect them from this destruction. And he has no faith and trust that God is going to protect them so on. That if they do flee to the mountains, that they are going to be protected in God's favor. We continue into verse 21, and he said to him the angel, "See, I have found, f- I have favored you concerning this also, in that you will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry and escape there, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Zor literally means little or insignificant. How fitting for a man." whose only mindset was on the materialistic possessions that he had, was only on the great city of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is all he cared about. was protecting the materialistic life that he had built. Nothing spiritual about this. But the angels give him favor. The Lord gives him favor again and again and again in fleeing, and dragging them out to the city gates just to get them to leave, in giving them another city to refuge in. Over and over. And this is not only a theme of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's life. We saw it with Noah. We saw it with Adam and Eve. We saw it over and over again. The Lord giving these opportunities for Jews to repent if you look at the book of Judges we see six times over and over this cycle that the Jews go through of they fall into idolatry and sin The Lord, they cry out the Lord instantly hears their cry out and in repentance he re- fulfills them he refreshes the city again and we see that six times cyclically and yet the Lord is still faithful to that mercy. It's part of his character. It's part of who he is. But we cannot look to take advantage of that mercy and just say, like um, we see in one of Paul's letters, right? That should grace, you know, should we sin more that grace may abound more? Surely not. No, we need to walk in righteousness. But we should also be thankful. And when we do fall to the seduction and temptation of sin, that we are able to find that mercy once again. But like 1 Timothy 6, I said earlier, we need to continue on. We need to run the race. We need to pursue righteousness and godliness and love. And then we continue, verse 26. But his wife looked back behind him as they're running to Zor. His wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land in the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass that when God had destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst, out of the mist of the overthrown, and he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. I think of right now, the way that this coronavirus has plague the world. And one of the things that has touched me so deeply, one of the things that I've been trying to express to everybody is how little control we have over this world, over our material possessions, over the things that we think we own. Lot is in the same boat, right? He thought Sodom and Gomorrah was his. That is my city, I love this, I have material possessions. In this city, and just like that, just overnight, he loses it all. Christians do not look back on your life of sin as something to be missed. Lot's life was literally judged because she looked back on that life. She no longer she longed after the very thing that God was judging itself. And she herself gained judgment because of it. The consequences of her action was death. Christian, if you have taken the stance, the oath to follow Christ, that he, is your sal- that he is your salvation, that He is your God, do not linger in your past sins. You are a new creation found in Christ. And don't long for those things that you once had whether it's materialistic, whether it's emotionally, relationally, because God has something way, way better for you. He has blessings for today. Live boldly for Jesus today. Verse 30, Then Lot went out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. So right there, He had prayed for this, or he had pleaded for this city. And then when he got and stayed in the city, he felt that it was unsafe to be in the city. So he fled to the place that he had originally been commanded to flee to. All in God's will, right? And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. The new, the, now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man on the earth to come in to us as is custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father a drink of wine that night and the firstborn went in to lay with her father And he did not know where she lay down and when she arose. Where have I seen this before? Somewhere else I've seen this before. Oh, that's right. Just think back to what the first story after Noah gets off the ark and does the sacrifices is, right? The children come in and they, now in Noah's story, there are tons of stances, but they sin nonetheless. They dishonor their father. In this way. And in this story, the daughters thought that they were doing a favor, that they were preserving the lineage. Same story, same outcome. Right after being delivered from God's wrath, these daughters take it upon themselves, as did the son in Noah's story, to do a disgusting, terrible abomination in the sight of the Lord. But it doesn't just stop with the eldest daughter. Verse 34, it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him a drink tonight also that you will go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father a drink of wine that night also and the younger arose and lay with him and he did not know where she lay down or when she arose. So not only did the eldest daughter fall into this sin, but she then encourages her younger sister to also participate in this sin. It's terrible. It's an abomination in the sight of the Lord. And we have to be on guard for these kinds of things because there are those out in the world here who are going to encourage you into sin. And that's not what God has a plan for you. And that's not part of it. There are going to be those who encourage you. Oh, hey, it's just a couple drinks. What does it matter? Oh, it's just a one night stand. What does it matter? It's just for fun, right? I know I've heard that many times. It's just for fun. Far be from it. We should be so set apart from that. And now let me reiterate myself. Let me clarify. A drink is not a sin by biblical standards, right? But there are going to be those who try to get you a drink so that they can get you a second drink so that they can get you a fifth and a seventh and a ninth. And before you know it, you don't know what's going on and you're not in control of the situation. I had it taught to me when I was in youth that there is a, there is a fine line on a lot of these sins if we want to take adultery, right? So there's a fine line where you sleep with somebody who's not your wife, Now, how far away from the line are you going to put yourself? If it's alcohol, the fine line is getting drunk. But how far away from that line are you going to put yourself? Are you going to go and hang out at bars? Are you just going to have one drink? That's it. Are you going to have only go, you're only going to go to bars? You're not going to go to bars. You're not going to have alcohol in your house at all, right? And so I'm not saying that any one of those are incorrect or the right way to do it. We need to, in prayer, see where the Lord is leading us in those realms. But we do know that there is a fine line in all of those things. So protect yourself, guard your heart from these things. And also think back in this story about what Lot said while he was in town. What did he say to those men who were ambushing the city? He offered his daughters in place of these two men And what's the return on that? That he ends up being the one who sleeps with his daughters. An even greater abomination. His drunkenness ends up sleeping with his own daughters. And so we finish off the chapter 36 through 38. Let's finish it here. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The first born bore a son and called him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben Ammai. He is the father of the Am- of people of Ammon to this day. Now, if you've read your Bible, especially your Old Testament, for any amount of time, those names should ring bells. And the reason why is because they are thorns in the side of the Israelites. They're enemies of the Israelite people. And it's terrible to think that in the deliverance of Lot, you'd think that out of the deliverance would come righteousness and godliness and what God had provided for Lot and his family would produce praise and adoration for God. And yet what's the provision that comes from that? In man's perspective, is two people groups who are enemies of God's people. And that's a terrible thing, but God still provided knowing the outcome God provided for Lot and his family to have that opportunity. And so it can and so it might be very easy to look at stories like this and go, well, man is thwarting God's plan at every turn, no matter what God's do, God does. If he provides a boat for Noah and his family, they have adultery and incest outside at the finish of God's provision. If we look at Abraham and Sarah, when God says that he's going to bless them with as a blessing to all nations, they go out and they have a child with Hagar and blot that. We look at Job and we see Job provided for in that he's led and rescued from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then what comes of that? The Moabites and the Ammonites. And you, th- you may think, look, man is just ruining God's plan in all of this. But God doesn't stop blessing his people from here. God still uses Abraham. God still is fruitful through that lineage. And God can turn all of these situations for his glory. In the same way for us Christians, God is here to provide for you. Now, I don't know what that looks like. You may not know what that looks like. Nobody on this earth may be able to answer that for you but he's here to provide for you spiritually and physically, but he's here to provide your every need, not necessarily your wants. Continue to press into faith. Continue to press into his righteousness. What was one of Lot's issues, right? He kept looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah He longed, he fought tooth and nail against God. God had to drag him out of the city. These two angels had to drag him out of the city just to get him to flee from the destruction. Would we as Christians not have that heart that looks towards the destruction, that pushes in, that says, this is okay because I keep my material things. But would we be Christians who say, Lord, all of this is yours. That has been a heart of our church during this time is, you know what, we were able to get a little bit more technology, we're able to stream a little bit better, but Lord, at the end of the day, this is all yours. Whether we have two camera angles or one, or we can produce a full band or only a guitar and a vocal or whatever it may be, Lord, this is all yours and it could all be taken from us in an instant. I know a lot of people have stories about, you know, we here at the church live in, or work out of a strip mall. And I've heard many a stories about how, oh, you know, that can't necessarily be a real church. You know, a real church has to have a building. But we like to look at it as such a blessing that we even get a space to commune in. I don't have to take down all of the music stuff every week because we're in a gym of a YMCA. But at the same time, I know people who are doing services out of gyms and YMCAs who are saying, what a blessing it is to even have a YMCA that will let them worship in that space. Christian, we need to be those who set our minds on spiritual matters, not on the material things. Yes, the material things are nice. It is nice to have a computer. It is nice to have a camera. It is nice to have blank material thing, but will we not be like Lot that when those things are taken from us, that woe is me kind of idea. Think of Lot also. From dust, or I'm sorry, naked I came into this world and naked I will return. When you die, you don't get to bring your material possessions with you. You know what does last, what does linger past your death? Your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God, the faith that you instilled in your children and your grandchildren and your friends and family. My personal prayer for myself is that when I pass away, that at my funeral, people say, He was a faithful man of God. That if I knew I needed prayer, He was there to pray with me. If I needed a companion in scripture reading, He was there to read scripture with me. And He followed the Lord with every step, not He had a really big house and he had the nicest guitars and the nicest pool or whatever it may be. And I pray that that be the legacy of each and every one of us as faithful servants, humble servants of Jesus Christ, that we don't look back on the things that we're doing right now, the things that we own right now as it being the best ever, but knowing that we press on into a greater prize Maybe you're in a season right now where you feel blessed, where things are just working out right now, even amidst this virus. Praise God. And press in deeper to that relationship that when things get hard, you can remember back to this time of great fruitfulness and know that God is still in control just as he was during this time. Or maybe you're in the opposite boat. Maybe your area, your life seems to be crumbling around you Would you reach out? Would you reach out today? If you're on the website, you literally have the ability within the window, and I think it would be in this corner down here below, Rebecca, to request prayer. Would you request prayer right now? That we can pray for you. Would you call the church right now? Or within the next hour or so when we're done with this study, that we can pray with you. Would you email us here at the church that we could pray with you? that if there's something that we as the body can do for you that we would love to help in any way that we can, that we would be an extension of Christ's provision to those around us. So just to recap real fast as we close up here, Abraham and Sarah had just been promised that the Lord was going to provide a means of childbearing for them And he had to remind them a couple of times to, hey, you need to get on this because I'm going to provide this for you. Make sure you're doing the right things that I can provide a child for you, right? And we see later that that is provided. And then we saw that Abraham, through intercessory, you could say prayer, through communication with God, through that communication with him was a pleading to God's character, to his righteousness, to his love for his people. But even in his plea, there were not even 10 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. That if there had been 10 righteous, God would have preserved Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we transitioned into Lot and his family. And now they weren't perfect, but God still provided a means for them to get out, for them to leave even though they were fighting tooth and nail to leave, (laughs) he still provided for them. Provision, provision, provision. He, time and time again, God provided a way out, a means of living, of safety, and of love. God is merciful in providing every need, need for us, That when we follow in faith, He does this for us. But again, let me reiterate the last point. We have to cast away our timing and our way of doing things. I know personally in my life, when God shows up to provide for the needs that I see, it oftentimes has not been in the way that I wanted it to be or I thought that it should come. But I'll also say that when he provided in his will, it was generally 10 times greater than what I could have even thought. But it's in his timing. We have to give up control. Now's a great time to recenter yourself. While things are in a chaotic mess, your schedule has been thrown off, your your regular routines are all in a whack. We must follow in faith in his timing, be developing those habits. We know for a fact, I believe, yeah, we know for a fact that we'll be in this for at least another 20 days in this quarantine, in this uh, stay at home. Now would be the perfect time to begin a routine of reading your Bible, of worshiping, of doing these things that produce faith, of praying for one another, I believe the study says it's about 28 days for you to develop a routine that will last. Right now, be developing that routine that God provides for you in his will, in his power, because he is in control. No matter what side of the spectrum you feel that you fall on in terms of the scale of happy or sad, excited, joyful, whatever it may be, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this study. Lord, I thank you for your character trait of provision. Lord, I might not be in Abraham's shoes or Job's shoes, but I learned so much from this passage about your character, about your love for the righteous, about your love for the faithful. And even when we're crawling and fighting you tooth and nail, your provision for those of, for us as Christians. Lord, I pray during this time of uncertainty that it would be your love that shines through. During this time of uncertainty, it would be faith, the faith of Christians that bless each and every city. It would be the hands and feet that move, that bring good news. Father, you are so holy and worthy of every second of our lives. Would you be convicting us today of the areas in our life where we need more of you, where we haven't given up full control? And I pray that each and every person who has tuned in, whether for five minutes or the whole service, Lord, I pray that they would feel peace and a joy come over them this afternoon, knowing that you are God Almighty, sitting on the throne, ruler of heaven and earth. We thank you and we praise you for what you're doing in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. One last-